please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org. I am Doug King. I am your host here today. Uh, We've had a pretty good week in Georgia politics and national politics. There's an awful lot going on I want to talk to you guys about, especially considering the State of the Union address and the Georgia legislature being back in session. As you know, you know, here at GeorgiaCarry.org radio, we're really interested in what's going on underneath the Gold Dome every year. We spend a lot of our time trying to figure out what's happening and what bills are going to be important and which bills are are kind of dead in the water. And uh, most of you who listen to the show regularly understand that we have a, a split uh, two-year legislature. So uh, every bill that's introduced in year one has two years to get passed, and every bill that's introduced in year two has one year to get passed. And at the end of the second year, everything that has been passed is dead and starts over from scratch. So right now we're at the beginning, the very first week. We've just completed the first week of this legislative session in year number two of the of the biennial years. So every bill that didn't get passed last year is still alive and active and sitting around the legislature that action could happen on it and something could could take place and it could be passed. So the first question we need to ask is how likely is it that old bills are going to get attention and going to get voted on this year and become new bills and or become passed into being law? And the answer to that is is tied up a lot in scheduling. Uh, bills have to go from uh, subcommittees to committees where they have to be heard by the committee, and then they have to be introduced on the floor of either the House or the Senate. Then they have to cross over, and there's a crossover date where they go to the other chamber where they get voted on. They get reconciled, and then eventually if they're voted by both chambers, then they go on to the governor. So the timing of all of this is incredibly important. And Unfortunately, or, or maybe fortunately, this year is not going to be a very big gun year in the legislature. The legislature is taking its attention and focusing elsewhere for a variety of, variety of reasons. Despite the president's call for more action on guns, the, the Georgia legislature just doesn't seem to have it in it this year to be focused on a lot of different gun bills. Now, there are a couple of things that we're going to discuss in more detail later on. But the most important thing to me, and what I think is really crucial, is the timing of this entire session. Uh, we heard this week that it is going to be a lightning session. They're going to blitz everything through and try to be done in 40 days and 40 nights. Now, why would they want to have such a short session? One would hope that it would be to save money, right? I mean, we're paying these people every day they're in session. As they go over, they have uh, overages or special sessions called. It costs the taxpayers of Georgia millions of dollars. So maybe they're just being frugal. But the truth is, it's an election year. And in an election year, especially with the uh, campaign finance requirements and the last day to, for getting uh, listed on ballots coming up during the legislative session, all of these legislators want to get out there and start campaigning as soon as they can so that they can come back next year and be underneath the gold dome for another two-year session. So the truth is, is they want to get out of here as quickly as they can with as little turmoil as they can in election year. They need to be heard on bills that are going to get them votes, that are going to get them popularity, that are going to catch the the soundbite media, and they need to stay away from votes that are going to cause any kind of tumult. And for them, a lot of gun bills cause 
turmoil. I mean, if you think about it, there's not a lot to be gained by being anti-gun in Georgia. Most Georgians are at least slightly pro-gun, if not rapidly pro-gun. So of the constituents in most of Georgia, if we take and, and to a cookie cutter out of, like, say, Atlanta or, or downtown Augusta or, or downtown um, Columbus, Macon, the, the major cities where there tends to be a, a stronger anti-gun tilt no matter which state you're in, most of Georgia is very pro-gun. Most of Georgia at, at least believes in the right to own and keep what firearms you wish. And so bills like the assault weapons ban that was introduced this week just don't have a lot of traction. Now, the people who are introducing those bills are people from very inner city, very liberal, very Democrat-held districts that are trying to show their support for the president, show their support for the Democratic Party, and to secure their base. But in a the larger sense of the House and the Senate, these bills don't have any way to get any traction and are not going to raise the ire of their constituents by by sponsoring them or voting for them or even letting them see the light of day outside of a committee. So these things are not the ones that are really going to get traction this year. 40 days and 40 nights, what are they going to spend that time on? Well, it looks like a large majority of the bills getting attention this year have to do with the Supreme Court's decision on gay rights, specifically whether or not uh, uh, clergy can be forced to officiate over a homosexual wedding and whether private business has to uh, participate in such activities. Now, there's two bills out there that deal with private business and one that deals with clergy. The clergy specifically mentions being able to officiate over weddings and whether they can be compelled to do so or not. And this is something that... I'm kind of torn on because on the one hand, I, I believe strongly in, in religious liberty that the clergy should be allowed to do whatever they wish and not forced to do anything that conflicts with their conscience. On the other hand, I don't really think that it's government's business to order people that they have a right not to do something. I think that's inherent. I think that it should be obvious that you have a right not to be compelled to do things, but instead that there has to be a law to compel you to do something and that this should be axiomatic that no one would ever consider the possibility of forcing a clergyman to do something against his conscience. But this is the world we live in now where people who have been given freedom, who have been given rights, who have been given you know, the opportunity of equality, turn around and use that as instead of using it to, to celebrate their own beliefs and their own diversity, use it as a bully pulpit or use it as a weapon to hurt other people who disagree with them or who they don't believe in. And, and that's just a sad truth. So perhaps it is time for government to do something. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Most of the pastors I know have turned around and said, we simply won't officiate for any wedding other than members of our congregation. And in order to be a member of our congregation, you cannot be asking for a a homosexual union. So therefore you go. If you ask for that, then you're going to be thrown out of the congregation. If you're thrown out of the congregation, I don't have to officiate for your wedding. And there can't be any position in between. So it, in one way, it, it limits the amount of activity that these clergy have with the rest of the world. On the other hand, it protects them from any kind of lawsuit. And maybe that is a better answer than taking up precious time in the legislature when they're decided to make it a blitzkrieg session. 
The other thing that is really a big issue is the state budget. And that's something that we kind of need to look at in detail. And that's kind of a hard thing to do in just, you know, an hour on one week. The whole state budget is massive and there's so much going on. But for just for argument's sake, let's think about the Powerball just as an example, okay? This last week, we saw the largest Powerball jackpot in history go rolling past, and three lucky winners in Florida, Tennessee, and in California have won, won the Powerball and are going to be splitting an estimated $1.6 billion between the three of them. Now, of course, you have to take out for the cash option, not the annuity, and then the government takes 39% of that because that's what the highest tax bracket is for the feds, plus your state taxes, and become out to a little less than, like, 350 million a piece but still that's a pretty handsome hunk of change for one person so let's think about this in terms of the state budget okay now most of you i would imagine bought a powerball ticket except for my friend david null and everybody else out there who did buy a powerball ticket spent some time thinking about what they would do with their 1.5 billion dollars you know i've heard every thing under the sun from buying every gun on earth to to setting up a private dictatorship in an island and 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 quitting all of our day jobs but i'm sure everybody here who had purchased a ticket spent some time thinking about how they were going to spend that money so let's say that between the, the, the two big drawings, one that was $900 million and the one that was $1.2 billion and then $1.5 billion as it went up, we had basically a whole week of people thinking about how to spend a billion dollars. That's a decent amount of time. And even with that amount of time, I don't think most people could come up with a way to spend a billion and a half dollars. I mean, it's an astronomical amount of money. I mean, the, the amount of money that is involved there is something that we just don't deal with on a daily basis. You know, there, there, it, it is just far and away. What, what, how do you conceptualize a billion dollars? Well, let's put it this way. Let's say you started spending a dollar. How about, you know, a Powerball ticket every second, right? A Mega Millions ticket is a dollar. Powerball tickets are two dollars. Let's say you started spending a, a dollar every single second from the moment you were born. You would run a, into a billion. You would hit the billion mark at approximately 32 years old. Think about that. 32 years to hit a billion if you're doing one per second. That is an, an astronomical number. Now, in our daily lives, we, you know, we hit 30 and 30 is not that big a deal. But think about that. Every single second, just to hit a billion seconds is 32 years of your life. Now, that, that, it works out to, I've got the number here somewhere in my stack, 11,574 days. A billion seconds is 11,574 days. Okay. And so it would take you a long time to do something with that amount of money. And it probably took most of us, when we were looking at our tickets and dreaming about what we would do, we spent a full week just dreaming about the possibilities of what we could do. Well, the state budget is $21 billion. That means every year the state spends $21 billion. We spent it in fiscal year 2015. It's projected for fiscal year 2016. Uh, I think fiscal year 2014 was like $20 billion and change. So the grand total, every year they spend $20 billion. That means they're spending a little less than $2 billion a month, almost practically that 1.6 number. That's about what the state of Georgia spends every month. 
And so how long is the legislature going to spend thinking about how to spend that $1.6 billion every month? Well, the governor's proposal is supposed to come out on Thursday this last week. Monday is a holiday. They don't meet Saturday or Sunday. So, so far we've got Friday. Next week, Monday's a holiday. Tuesday, they're supposed to have the budget approved, voted for, and off to the governor. That's what they're hoping for. They're going to spend two days on spending $21 billion. And they're going to spend it in the course, uh, they're going to spend the Powerball jackpot in a month, every month this coming year. Think about that for a second. Now, that's small fry. That's cheap potatoes compared to what the feds do, because they spend the Powerball jackpot every about three hours. Every three hours every day, they spend that Powerball jackpot and don't even look back at it. So that's what the legislature is up to as we're going forward. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We will be back in just a minute. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. All right, folks, we are back. Um, it has been an interesting week. And, and uh, as I've been talking about the last segment, that the, go- the governor is pushing a $21 billion budget at the legislature in, in rapid fire. The, the Republican legislature is probably going to approve this sucker, looking at it for a whole two days, and then off we are to the races. Now, you know, I, I'm trying to make some hay here, but the truth is, is that the budget isn't vastly different from the budget from last year, and there probably isn't that much that should change or is going to change or has any likelihood of changing anytime soon. So what is the legislature going to focus on for the rest of their 38 days? that they're going to be meeting when they don't have to discuss the, the, the big business of spending one or $21 billion of your dollars. It's going to be the religious freedoms bills, which are catching a lot of attention. There's going to, there are a few bills on education. Part of that's the Budget Act. The governor wants an education pay rate increase. As someone who sends all of his kids to private school, I, I think it's wonderful that we spend billions of dollars on public schools that are absolutely failing, and we're going to throw even more money at failing public schools instead of addressing the real problems in public schools, which is a lack of parent interaction, a lack of parent involvement, a lack lack of, of uh, focus on core values and things that are important and instead looking at issues of common core. I know the governor in his state of the state speech said that uh, this year they were getting more autonomy from the federal government, that states can make better choices in public schools, and that they're going to strive to get rid of uh, pointless testing and get back to basics. I, I'm heartened to hear that they're learning cursive, maybe um, – Kids that graduate from Georgia now will be able to read the Constitution, which may be a dangerous thing for most politicians out there, but the truth is is that we need to get back to basics, and, and this may be the first steps in that. I personally chose to put my kids in private school because I want them to get a good education that puts them head and shoulders above the rest of the world, and you know, being a, a median student in a median public school is not going to help you excel. You need to be pushed. You need to strive, and that takes a little bit more effort than I think gets put into public schools, both by parents and by teachers, unfortunately. 
I'm not saying that there aren't fantastic public school teachers out there, and there are better public school teachers than there are teachers in my private school. But the emphasis when you're doing anything in the private sector is on results and success, whereas the emphasis in anything in the public sector is is kind of just making things go and, and keeping things at a, at a standstill, it seems like, at least to me. So here we are looking at what's coming up in the legislature and what had happened with the federal government. And we were talking a little bit about this amount of spending the state does, $21 billion, which is the lottery, the big Powerball jackpot every month, while the feds are spending that same Powerball jackpot every three hours of every day, not taking any breaks on nights or weekends. And then if they hit their debt ceiling, then they start talking about government shutdowns. And, oh, my goodness, we're going to have a government shutdown. And that's going to cost even more money because then we have to send out park rangers to shut down the free parks that people walk into. And then what are we going to do with when we have all those extra expenses from shutting down the government? You know, when Obama shut down the government last time, he told people to make it hurt and sent people out to shut down, like, the Washington Monument and the mall uh, at the Capitol building. And the American citizens just walked right over and took back their own property and said, well, you can't lock us out from here. It was quite a show of thing, of force, and I think that it was one of the most bravest and, and meaningful demonstrations. You talk about the people who are out in Oregon whose uh, – their protest is getting completely swept under the rug at this point. Nobody cares. But uh, their protest had no greater significance and, and not even near the meaning of the people who went on the Washington Mall when the president decided to shut it down because of the the government shutdown and to make it hurt. So, you know, as we, we start spending all of these masses amounts of money, you know, they, they look at it and say, what, what are we supposed to do? And, and what, what is the purpose of, of having people in Congress if they're not going to stand up to this sort of, of lunacy? And we, we reach out to our senator. We reached out to members of the House to, to talk about the president and what he's doing with gun control and, and his executive orders last week. We got a statement. Jesse read it on the air last week from one of them. No one's willing to come out. No one's willing to take a stand. And then the president gives the State of the Union this week, which was – by and large, a very muted State of the Union. I, I don't think that I watched the whole thing. I don't think that it was was terribly idiomatic. I don't think that it had a lot of substance to it that was was shocking. He basically said that he thinks he did a great job and he's happy where he is and thank you all. And that was about it. There were some jabs at um, the GOP front runner Donald Trump got got his his hand slapped by the president of the United States during the most powerful moment of his most important speech of his year the state of the union where the entire eyes of the world he chose to take a slap at Donald Trump and what was more telling is that the republican response to the president's state of the union address took another slap at Donald Trump so apparently the only thing that republicans and democrats can agree on is how much they hate Donald Trump who is supported by a majority of the republican voters which is, again, once again, very telling. I, I think it's a sad state of affairs when people who believe in politics and start to get behind a candidate have their own party turn against them because they're doing what the candidate is, is, is reading the voice of the people. 
and uh, you know a 180 reversal on guns. Now Trump has some history of not being very pro gun, but I'm willing to concede that anyone can can have a change of heart and see the light and and come back to basic you know humanitarian values of wanting self defense and self preservation. And if Donald Trump has truly honestly done that and he is making campaign promises based on those kinds of values, more power to him. At least somebody out there is calling for national reciprocity, like driver's licenses for your concealed carry permit. California is one of the most liberal states allowing you to carry. It's just the most restrictive state in allowing you to get the permit to carry in the first place. But if my permit from Georgia or Utah is good in California, my goodness, I might go visit. And if national carry achieves that, my goodness, let Donald Trump do it. He said that he'll reverse every one of President Clinton or excuse me, President Obama's. My goodness, boy, wouldn't that be a disaster? Another Clinton presidency. Um, another, he would reverse all of President Obama's executive actions on gun control and probably immigration, too. And I think that that is a great, another great thing. And we need to start to dismantle some of the failed policies that a truly socialist president have put into effect on this country that are destroying not only our economy, but our, our national identity. This last week, we saw American sailors captured at gunpoint, and we thanked the captors. We've seen just a, a, a tremendous barrage against what it is to be an American. As we see people stand up in, in, in Garland, Texas, they stand up and shoot terrorists, and then in, in California, they're shot by terrorists, and the, the praise goes to the government for California and nothing is said about what happened in Garland. And and the truth is, is that Garland is a reflection of what it is to be an American. Garland is a reflection of what it is to be a, a free citizen. And California is a reflection of what it is to be a subject to a government that's out of control. And, and this is just ridiculous. But... The president is calling for more and more action on guns. He's talking about all sorts. This is going to be a year of executive orders, as his chief of staff has said in the news. I think that these are very scary prospects. What he did to trusts and their ability to purchase weapons for multi-generational use so that people can can procure what are common weapons around the world, like, like you know, ARs and short-barreled rifles and shotguns and suppressors and be able to pass them on to their children and make it a legacy, a part of American gun culture and American inheritance and heritage. And he attacks that. And I think these are just terrible things that are going on. And in light of that, we look at our state legislature and what's going on. Well, the state legislators are turning their backs on American gun culture as well. There are legislators from you know inner city areas who are advancing a gun control, confiscatory banning policy that they were introducing bills. Now, these bills aren't going to go anywhere. I said that in the first segment. You know, the first segment, I was like, these bills cannot make any headway because majority of Georgians are pro-gun and believe in individual freedom, and their legislators are not going to, in election year, stick their necks out any which way. These are political statements, much like the State of the Union was a political statement. It was entirely designed to get your attention and to get the base motivated to show up for the election that's coming and say, we did what you've been asking us to do. And that's what all of this action on gun control and all of the action on Obamacare you're seeing out of the federal government is at the same time. This is all pandering to try to get you motivated as the base to turn out for these primaries that are coming up in the next couple of weeks so that people who have power can keep power. Folks, we will be right back. And 
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So let's take a look at some of the bills that are um, still alive. There, There is a slew of bills that are potentially alive, but only a few that actually have um, are awaiting a hearing in different committees. So I'm going to take a, a brief overview of some of the ones that look like they might actually have um, hearings now, most of them are awaiting hearings in, in subcommittees yet to be scheduled, no current action scheduled. So those ones are not really going to, to require much attention. There is a hearing, no, not even scheduled here. I was looking at House Bill 331, thinking that that might, that's the one that we talked to Representative Sharper, Dexter Sharper, about last year. And about completing a training requirement within 120 days of issuance of a license. That one still not scheduled. It was was awaiting hearing back in February last year. No action scheduled. House Bill 543, the Constitutional Carry Act of Georgia, which Georgia Carry does not support because it does it has some restrictions in it more than there are in the law now. While it removes the requirement of getting a license, um, that one again. Waiting hearings, nothing scheduled. There's a Campus Carry Act of 2015, which is awaiting hearings, but nothing scheduled. There is, hmm, um, looking at a few more here. We've got House Bill 688, creating a new code section about law enforcement. We've got House Bill 709, another training course that was uh, no action scheduled. There's uh, House Bill 731 that would make it um, prohibit the ownership of semi-automatic rifles and many pistols. This is the assault weapons ban, basically a copy of the federal ban. It was introduced just just a few days ago. No action at this time. It's been assigned to the Senate Judiciary Committee awaiting hearing. That, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, that they're mimicking the assault weapons ban from 1994. It's basically a port of that law that's sunsetted federally into the state law. It has almost zero chance of passing, and it may be a good thing to get stirred up about and to contact your legislature about so that they understand that we all hate this sort of nonsense. I would really like to, to get on a hold of the, the sponsors of this thing. Maybe we can work on that, folks, for, for next si- – okay, yeah. Next next time we're going to try to get a hold of uh, Mary Margaret Oliver, Democrat AM number 82, who introduced this awful, awful piece of legislation. Um, Stacey Abrams, Carolyn Hewley, Pat Gardner, Deshaun Kendrick, D. Dawkins Hagler – are all co-sponsors. One of them surely would like to come on. I, you know, every one of them has a D in beside their name. I, I don't know why that would be. Do you? Okay, so we're looking at uh, Senate Bill 48, which uh, prohibits restoration of gun rights to people who receive a pardon. I believe that that is unconstitutional under the way the Georgia Constitution is structured because pardons and paroles is a separate co-equal branch of government along with the, the governor and the legislature. So the legislature can't order the governor to do things and it can't order the board to or do or not do things. All it can do is uh, make laws on the people, not on other branches of government. I think that, that whoever drafted that bill is, is probably out of line. So the Senate Bill 48, we strongly oppose that. Senate Bill 49, 
you got to repeal the statute uh, for duty to retreat. Uh, there's been no duty to retreat in Georgia since we were a British colony. They want We passed a law that said we still don't have a duty to repeat, which is completely superfluous and didn't do much of any good because it was already common law in the way the law was in Georgia. But we passed a law that said that the common law is now codified, and so now they're trying to repeal that. And of course, we strongly oppose that. It's awaiting hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, this is from last year. Nothing's happening with that one. Uh, Senate Bill 67, prohibiting carrying firearms in government buildings. There's this is another one we strongly oppose. It's it's there's no action scheduled. Senate Bill 68. Uh, requires people obtaining or renewing a, a license to undergo a minimum of eight hours on training. There's no nothing scheduled. Um, Senate Bill 73 allows a person to be detained, detained by law enforcement to find out whether or not they have a license. Nothing scheduled as holdover from last year. Uh, of course, this is idiotic and nobody would ever, I mean, it goes against federal rules on what constitutes reasonable articulable suspicion. It's another one that's dead in the water. These are all feel-good measures that are introduced by Democrat after Democrat after Democrat trying to uh, rally some support from their base and by taking away everyone else's freedom again uh, how far our country has slid when you can rally support by trying to promise to take away freedom um, automatic expulsion for possession of firearms that's senate bill 161 uh, waiting hearings nothing scheduled we've got uh, senate bill 250 firearms prohibit the purchase by any person trying to um Anyone having a divorce? Introduced by Michael Doc Rett, Democrat number 33 from 33rd District. Michael Doc Rett uh, thinks that if you're going through a divorce, then you should never have any Second Amendment rights. Because apparently Second Amendment, you know, it, it's an inalienable right except for if your wife cheats on you. So there's, there's a summary of Senate Bill 250, and that one has nothing scheduled. Imagine that. 40 days, 40 nights, not a lot of time to do all of this sort of nonsense. Senate Bill 267, uh, provide for a reduced weapons carry license for persons 65 years of age or older. Eh, eh, that sounds like a good idea to me. I mean, if you're over 65, why don't you be able to not have to pay for your carry license? In fact... I think we should take this bill and take it a step further. I think that if you're, instead of just making it for people who are over 65 years of age, why don't we make it for everyone who is over 18 years of age? Now, there's an idea. Let's expand it so that if you're over the age of 18, you can get your weapons carry license and not have to pay for it because, you know, it's just another tax. That's the list, folks. I mean, I've run through just about every single gun bill. There's a few holdovers from last year that I may have skipped over, but that's just about every single gun bill in the legislature. And they're all no action, nothing scheduled, nothing pending as of at least today's date. Now, that could change. They could decide to take up some of these issues, and one of the subcommittees could find the time for it. But they're so tied up trying to find bills that are going to motivate their base that these are just not it. Now, they're introducing bills particularly the Democrats. And that's why this legislative session is really giving us a highlight of why it is so very important to stay active in the legislature. Because you can't just go in and get your bill that you need and, and make uh, carry constitutional. I mean, let's let's say that we go to constitutional carry. We remove all the legislation that, that you have to have a permit at all and you can just carry anywhere in the state of Georgia. Let's, let's say we get rid of everything that you can carry in courthouses and you can carry into mental institutions and you can carry into prisons and it doesn't matter. You can carry every gun, every 
everywhere, anywhere, anywhere you want. There'd just be absolutely no laws about guns, whatever. The moment that that passed, the next year someone introduced a bill that would do away with all of that again. And if there wasn't someone in the way standing saying, hey, wait a minute, we just passed this bill, then it would go away. Right? No matter what you get, you have to fight for it every year because there are always people who want to take away your freedoms, take away your rights, and take away what you have. And so there's a Red Queen's race. Now, a Red Queen's race is a very specific term having to do with a logical um, predicament. It's often applied to evolution because evolution is, is described in this way, that you have to run as fast as you can to stay where you are. In Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen held a race, and everyone started running, but no one was moving. And Alice pointed out how idiotic this was. Why weren't they moving? And the Queen said, you have to run as fast as you can just to stay where you are. And that's what's going on. You know, In evolution, as one species starts to get an, an edge and starts to take over, the other species has to evolve in order to maintain its foothold against the, the first invasive species. And as so, they're running as fast as they can, but just keeping the ground static. Uh, there was an episode in Star Trek in the original series where they talked about a balance of power and that they had to balance what the, the Klingons were giving the indigenous people with what the Federation was giving them so that if the Klingons gave them bows, then the Federation would too. And if they gave them flintlocks, then so would the Federation to maintain a balance of power so that the people would be the same. And it was a play out of what was going on in the Cold War that time between third world proxy nations and the second world of the Soviet Union, the first world of the U.S., trying to impose their political agendas on these third world nations. So a lot of the consequences we're still reaping today. So, you know, that, that's kind of where we are with the legislature is that we are in a Red Queen's race with people who are anti-freedom, anti-sovereignty, anti-individual liberty and accountability. And if we ever stop running, we'll just get back into the junk heap of history and be gone as they continue to push forward. So it's very, very, very important to be active in the legislature, even on years like this one where there isn't any you know, smoking gun legislation that we're going to rally behind and say, yes, yes, pass that because I want to see this law change. Instead, we have to hold the line and say, no, no, you can't pass that. We've just gotten where we are with our freedom and our liberty, and we need to be where we can hold on to what we want. And, you know, there is some plan to move forward. There, There is going to be a time when Georgia starts to realize real freedom, freedom like I had in Alaska, when I could carry without a permit, when I didn't have to worry about um, a lot of the, the, the gotcha restrictions that are in place here in Georgia and many other states in the southeast. You know, we think of ourselves being a gun culture and being gun friendly, and yet we're not. We're not gun friendly. When people open carry in Texas, Texas just got open carry. And now there's, you know, all these petitions going around. Well, I'm not going to visit your business if you allow people to open carry in it. We need to get to a point where gun culture is accepted as normal, not as an outlier. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We will be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. So, welcome back, folks. And during just before the break, when I was talking to my staff here during the break, we were discussing how do you get to have the gun culture to be more mainstream and more accepted, right? <clears throat> the, the, the problem is, the moment you stop running, 
This was the, the whole point of the last segment. The moment you stop running, you get swept away and whisked back because you have to run as fast as you can to stay where you are. How do you change that dynamic? And the way you change it is through education. You've got to get to the hearts and minds of the young people of today. And the young people of today love guns. There is not a person who is under the age of 20 who's out there going, man, I think, you know, the, the guns are just horrible. I, I think it's just, just the most awful thing, and I wish there were never any guns. Those days are long gone. Kids these days are more than happy to plop themselves down behind uh, Modern Warfare 4 or 3 or 5 or whatever one's out now, pick up a, a SCAR-17 and have at it digitally, and then when they realize that they can actually go to a range and perfect a skill set and have a a skill that is useful not only for self-defense but also for a variety of shooting sports they get excited and they want to be involved and they want to purchase things they want to own what they were playing with in Call of Duty they want to own a Desert Eagle they want to own a 1911 and they want to get good with it and they want to get to the point where they are proficient not just safe and not just just, you know average not, not able to pass a police qualification course but able to play a game with it that's fun and exciting and, and test their skills. And when you get into IDPA, you get into IPSC competition, you get into cowboy action shooting, you get into gangster action shooting, which is you know the, wild, the Roaring Twenties shooting that's now starting to take off in some sectors. You get into wild bunch shooting. There's so many different angles and, and ways that you can be involved in a firearm shooting sport that expands your horizons, and they want to get involved. So where do we reach out to them? You reach out to them through georgiacarry.org, of course. This is the most active legislative lobbying group in the state. This is a grassroots organization where people from all walks of life, lawyers, doctors, lawmakers, um, laymen, you've got contractors, you've got business owners, you've got high school students. Everybody comes together to join in this group to make changes in our legislature, make changes in our law, to fight in court, to fight underneath the gold dome, to get things done. And it's 20 bucks a year. You can go to www.georgiacarry.org. And for 20 bucks, you can click on the top left-hand Join Now button and become a member. You can go to any gun show, any gun show in the state, and there will be a booth there staffed by volunteers who are there giving of their time and getting into that gun show with the hopes of being able to find something new and exciting and get you to join up to the group. And I've watched these people work. I've been there. I've worked the booth in the past. I've watched the volunteers sit there and, and go up and Hand out the buttons that say gun save lives, GeorgiaCarry.org. Give people information. Tell them about the upcoming bills. Tell them about what's going on in the legislature. Tell them about the local chapter meetings. And that's another great way to get involved. We're seeing chapter meetings pop up in, in northeast Atlanta, northwest Georgia, down in Valdosta and Macon. I think that there's one that's getting founded in Augusta soon. These are great opportunities for everybody to get involved. To get to know people who are excited about this. The convention. We do a yearly convention in August. And it's usually held in Atlanta where most of the people are. But my goodness, what an opportunity. A place you can hear great speakers. You can be involved in the poker game. You, you can show off your barbecue gun because open carry is perfectly legal here and accepted. 
And that's a change. I remember back in 2000 when I first moved here that there was a, a huge difference of opinion about open carry. And when people open carried, they either assumed you were a cop, you were a security guard, or you were a thug. And in, in the last 16 years, I have seen such a, dr- a drastic change in that perception. We need to get to the point where that guns are seen as just a part of daily life, that people accept them not as a scary thing, that you don't have to, to be afraid of them, and you don't have to listen to the drivel anymore, where, where it is absolutely thrown out. Anyone who would stand up and say, well, um, um, as a rape victim, you know, you having a gun doesn't mean you're safer. You, you, your, your kids could get that gun, and, and you know, there could be a, 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 um, um, tragedy. Anyone who says that should be laughed out of the town hall. Anyone who says that should be mocked openly. No. If you're a victim, by goodness, you should have a gun. If you've not been a victim, by goodness, you should have a gun so you don't become a victim. These are ways that we take personal responsibility to protect ourselves, protect our children, protect our families. And it's time that, that the, 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 the idiocy of someone who would say, no, you, you know, just because you have a gun doesn't mean you're any safer. That's just not true. And it's, it's plainly not true. Anyone with just a modicum of common sense can see that that's not true. And it's time for us to, to stand up and, and to shout down those who would, would lie to us and try to take our freedoms. Why would a politician want you not to be able to defend yourself? Think about that for one good second. A politician who's supposed to be looking out for your best interest doesn't want you to defend yourself. A politician who is looking out for their own interests doesn't want you to defend themselves, yourself. They are, if, if they're afraid of you being able to defend yourself, then they're afraid of what you're going to do to them. Criminals don't like armed citizens. I've been a defense attorney for over a decade. I've been a prosecutor. I've done just about everything there is to do in law. I've been on every, every side of a courtroom, it seems like, except for sitting behind a bench, which is a view that I, I don't envy, to be honest with you. So looking back at my career, looking back at everything that I've done, criminals don't want an armed citizenry. And I think that that is universally true. Whether or not they've committed a crime that can be put on a book or, or sentenced or indicted for, if they don't want you to have guns, they're a criminal. And that's just God's honest truth, folks. So think about that. If they want to take your guns, if they don't want you to have a gun, if they don't think you're to be trusted with a gun, treat them like a criminal. Because in their heart of hearts, the reason that they're getting to that point is because they're going, they're going to do something. They're contemplating doing something. They're planning to do something where you having a gun would not be in their best interest. And that is a criminal mentality, a criminal mindset. And politicians who are anti-gun, who are anti-self-defense, who are anti-freedom to protect yourself and your family are criminals. They have the same mindset as so many of my clients have when they're about to rob a store. They don't want you to be able to defend or protect yourself. Folks, it's, it's a busy time. It's a busy time in the legislature. You need to be involved with your legislators. You've got a chance to do something here that doesn't happen in the national level. You call up your your U.S. senator and say, hey, I'd like to take you out for lunch. Good luck. Call up your U.S. rep and say, hey, I'd like to take you out for lunch. Good luck. You call up your state rep who only represents your district and say, hey, I want to have breakfast. There's something that's bothering me, and this is important. 
you're probably going to get a call back, especially during the off season. Now that we're in the legislative session, you need to go down to that gold dome and knock on their door and say, hey, I know you're busy, but I need 30 seconds of your time. This bill matters. That bill sucks. Let's get something done. And let's turn this 40-day ramrod blitzkrieg session into something more than just a rubber stamp of $21 billion in spending, more than just stumping for your anti-gun inner city or your, your Bible Belt no gay marriage you know, platforms, which really aren't going to move in this house anyway. Let's, let's look at some of these bills that actually have some meaning to them. I like that. You know, GCO says that we're, we're neutral on the, let's get rid of the fees for people over 60. I like that bill. That's a nice bill. That has some teeth to it to me because I think that nobody should have to pay for these, these licenses. And if we say that people over 65 shouldn't have to pay, then maybe next year it's people over 55. Maybe next year it's people over 18. And let's start moving the, 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 the goalposts so that we can get something done. Folks, it's a beautiful weekend. I know rain has kind of been coming in and out of Atlanta, uh, around the state. You've got some people who are, are facing snow tomorrow or freezing temps tonight. And But get out there. Get out there and do something. Get out there. Contact your legislature. Take your kids shooting. Get a friend of yours who, who debates you on gun issues and invite them to the range. I guarantee you, you put a, a gun in a person's hand and teach them how to shoot, teach them, give them a target, give them a sport, give them a goal, and teach them the safe and, and effective handling of a firearm, and it will change their perception about so many things in life. The, my, one of my favorite lines from a movie comes from The Magnificent Seven, when they said, if, if he's the fastest with a knife and a gun, with whom does he compete? And Yul Brenner said, with himself. And that's the ultimate underpinning of shooting sports. It's not about beating somebody else. It's about beating yourself. It's about bringing that internal discipline, which so many of us, especially the young people of today, need to have. That every shot counts. That the only person accountable for where that shot went is you. And the only person that you can praise or blame at the end of the day is yourself. There is You can't blame the gun unless you have a Glock. You can't blame the ammo. You have to blame yourself whether you make or break that shot. And that's the kind of internal discipline that this country is desperately lacking. Get out there, get involved, get shooting. We will be back next week. Uh, if you're listening to us online, give your local radio station a shout-out. Email us at radio at georgiacarry.org. Let us know who to talk to, and we will talk to them about getting us on the air for you. Until then, we'll be on the air. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.